And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Did we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. And Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday, the original series edition. My name is Scott Gardner and I'm joined as always by my bestest friend, my only friend, Chris. Hi. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. I am so excited to talk some Star Trek with you. This is going to be fun. I like this episode a lot. This this is one of those like, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, um, you know, I, I would think we probably like this one even more than it actually deserves. Not that it's a bad episode or anything, but this this one's like both awesome and like super 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 cheesy at the same rate. And we used to get such a kick out of both reenacting and mocking this episode. And mocking this yeah. one. Yeah, it, it it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's it, it's hard to define it. It's just good, wacky, clean, wholesome fun where people get it's killed. It's not completely wholesome. <laughs> no, it's not completely wholesome. Actually, no. As we'll, we will find out later. Yes, <laughs> as as eagle-eyed Gardner will yes, will yes. fill you in with later. Damn, do I love having this? Uh, you know, and 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 the DVD. You know, and the and the high def type of deal now because wow yeah yeah i mean yeah the remastered and yeah has brought out a lot of details yes it brought some things out all right that's for damn sure (coughs) hamilton yeah yes yes it did but uh you said you had some uh some some preamble chit chat stuff to talk about so lay it on us well, I'm as you know, it's springtime. It's getting close to garage sale season, and I'm running out of of junk. 
not that I'm running out of junk, but I'm running out of good junk to sell on eBay. So which mm -hmm. means I'm digging deeper into the crevices and recesses of my junk room in my garage. That's disgusting. And, and uh, it sometimes it is. <laughs> Today it was not so disgusting. Today I uh, disgorged two um, old pocket book. The time. Remember the Timescape series of mm -hmm. Star Trek books? Yeah, I remember them well. I got two two of them that I didn't know I had. Which ones? I um, one of them is called the Klingon Gambit by yeah. Robert E. Vardaman. Yeah, I remember that one. And the other is the Prometheus Design by Sandra Marshak and Myrna Culbreth. That one's a weird one. That's I remember that one has a weird cover. Yeah, it has, it has like a... a demon guy on the cover of it. Yeah, like standing between Kirk and Spock. Yeah, that's that's look... actually a really strange one. But I like I love that cover because it's uh, if it's the same cover as the one I have because it's uh, a painted cover in their yes. in their uh, their motion picture outfits. Yes, it's it's well, it's like it's like someone took a fantasy novel, you know, like Glark of Flog World, and, <laughs> right. and and put Kirk and Spock, you know, in the foreground <laughs> of it, basically. Yeah, but uh. I I I I just always like the old school Star Trek books and the 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 way they you know the art on them and the way they printed them. I always favor them over the new stuff just the way they look. So mm -hmm. I'm 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 looking forward to fitting these in with my other Star Trek books and perhaps there there's other of my old Star Trek books. There's ones way ahead of this that I want to read like Spock Must Die and stuff like right, that. Right. Yeah. But you know the even older school ones, but. One that these, was a very pleasant surprise. One of these days I keep thinking that I'd love to find the time to actually sit down and, and reread like maybe like the first, I don't know, like dozen or something of the those old original Timescape books. Because I remember the first, I don't know how many it actually is, but I in my mind I always think it's like a you know an even dozen or so. But I remember the first, however many of those novels were actually pretty good, you know, because you had like... Uh, I remember the entropy effect was a really good one. I like that. I one remember a lot. seeing that one on your. I I remember you had them all when we were in high school. Yeah, I did. I remember you just had that one bookshelf just with all of them lined up there. So yeah. I remember seeing all of them. I don't think I read any of them back then. But there, there's some of them are actually really good and really worth reading. What what helped me a lot was. You know, when I developed my my interest and fascination with the motion picture, you know, because those books came out, you know, in that interim between the first two movies, most of the covers um, had the characters in motion, you know, the motion picture uniforms. Um, and so, you know, that's how I imagine the stories that they were set in that era. I, I've right. since come to understand that most of those and most of those um, books are set, you know, during the original five year mission, you know, but I didn't really I wasn't well versed in Star Trek enough at that time to to realize exactly where they were supposed to be set. So going back now, I don't know if they would read quite the same to me, but I, I liked envisioning that they were actually taking place you know during the second five-year mission you know when mm -hmm. when kirk had, had resumed you know command of the enterprise and all that i guess you could probably still read them that way but you know knowing more about it now you know it'd probably be a little bit harder to you know put, to put my mind back to you know to the that more innocent 
you know, learning about Trek from those novels as opposed right. to really having, you know, watched the episodes backwards and forwards and picked up all the, you know, all the minutia and all that. You know what I mean? Because I, I still yeah. think a lot of, you know, th- those books really informed a lot of my, um, you know, interest in, in, you know, knowledge, I guess you'd say, of, of Star Trek. You know, that's why it's hard for me sometimes to remember you know details where you're remembering them, it yeah from. exactly yeah like because i remember you know one of the things that bugged me a lot with with abram's star trek was you know having the enterprise built on earth and everything and i remember you know being really up in arms like no <clears throat> you know that's not right you know the enterprise was was built in space you know in space time. and then i got to thinking you know where did i learn that and more than likely it was from one of those novels which i don't think right. any of them are are actually official canon at all because they they don't they were never made to fit you know with one another you know so it is it's it's hard to remember sometimes you know what it, where are you pulling that knowledge from you know was it a comic or a book or you know, your a, butt. yeah you know one of those goofy book and record things I mean there's a million there were all hey. kinds of different places you could be pulling that in what are you scratching at yeah exactly so. <laughs> Well, I've still got some books to send you too. I've uh, I've got the at least a couple of Star Trek books to send. I just got to get my, off my lazy ass and uh, and get that stuff all boxed up and sent to you. But I got a nice little uh, it's turning into a nice little pile of stuff to send you here eventually. Excellent, excellent. The only thing really holding me back at this point is I've got a number of uh, of uh, of comics to send you, but I need to to go through my own stuff first. Before I uh, send those out, I, I just found a a Lassie comic also in my cleaning, <laughs> and I found a, a Carvel's Carvel Man of a Carvel's <laughs> ice cream comic. Oh, awesome! That only Carvel makes. They're made fresh every day, cause that's the Carvel way. And while you're at the store, see Cookie Puss some more. And don't forget about. Participating Carvel dealer also has Hug Me the Bear and Cookie Puss Dolls. You'll love them. Thank you. The art on the cover looks suspiciously good. I'm suspecting maybe like a Walt Simonson type of person or something. I'm going to have to do some research on it. I was looking at the cover and the rocks going, those look like Walt Simonson's rocks. This this was on the Lassie one? No, this was, the Lassie one's 1950-something. Right. The 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 Carvel one I think is like seventy five, so and that, that could conceivably be some yeah. really good author or artist in his early days. It had it had that look to it, you know what I mean? Right. Where you're looking at it going, This is better than the average crappy giveaway comic huh. from those times that looked like it was scratched onto the back of a Carvel's ice cream napkin or something. I didn't know Carvel ever had comics. That's actually kind of cool. Neither did I. I don't know where I got the goddamn thing. <laughs> I love having stuff it's a like life that. Of, a life of a junk uh, yeah. scrounger. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember getting this. I don't know where the hell I got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all I... That's really all I got Star trek going on. I got something to bring to the to the preamble for this one, and it is uh, just by amazing coincidence, it relates to uh, Star Trek books as well. You know, now that uh, you know we've we've been without uh, 
Orca stay free for some time now. We need to come up with some sort of little stupid jingle, uh, segment jingle or something, you know, for uh, for when we actually do like a book review on the show. I mean, not that we do them terribly often, but we do them. And, and all the people who call for Oprah stay free to come back, it ain't gonna happen. I'm yeah. I'm telling you, I read my comic books by the the light provided by a, a whale oil lamp. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> What we do, we need some goofy little episode, you know, I keep saying episode, some little segment music or some stupid thing just to, you know, and now the two true freaks some little book, book review, you know, book whatever. jingle or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, the whatever. And now it's time to get up off your lazy ass and read a book with two true freaks. Anyway. I got a book to review, and uh, I just wanted to talk about it. I'm going to try to make this brief, but uh, I enjoyed it. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, and I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. This is Star Trek Enterprise, The Good That Men Do by Andy Mengels and Michael A. Martin. And uh, Was that an episode? No, no, it wasn't. This is actually... This is the first um, post-series novel about Enterprise. Oh, okay. And it actually picks up right where the series ends. Now, to anybody that remembers uh, how Enterprise ended, Enterprise ended with, uh, with an episode that a lot of people were up in arms about because it was a pretty crappy episode. I mean, as, as you know, series finale episodes go... The episode itself, as far as, you know, the the story, you know, the regular ongoing narrative of Enterprise wasn't too bad. I mean, it, it was interesting, and they tr really tried to wrap up the series in a, in a semi-fulfilling manner. It was hard for them to do, because they were really on a roll, they were really going somewhere, and they had to basically encapsulate the entire rest of their series in this one episode... So it does feel rushed. It does feel like a lot is thrown into one episode. And then it doesn't help that the the wrap around the episode, the the, the, the framing piece of the episode is that um, basically it's a next-gen episode because you come to learn that this is Riker on the holodeck of the Enterprise during the Next Generation series, TV series, and this actually takes place during an episode that we haven't gotten to yet of Next Gen, where Riker's having this crisis in his life because of the plot in one of the episodes. And so he's actually going to the holodeck and watching the mission logs from Enterprise. That's the framing work, you know, the framework of this episode is that this is Riker watching these events happen via the holodeck and interacting and everything. Kind of an interesting idea, I guess, but that's a pretty lousy way to do another series final episode is, is yeah. to make that a next-gen episode. It, it really didn't work very well, and a lot of fans were understandably upset about it. The biggest crime, though, in, in my opinion, the biggest problem that episode had was... They killed off a major character in the very last episode, and that was Trip, the engineer, who was a great, great, great character played by um, 
Connor Trenier. He, he was just a hell of an actor. And he was a really good character, a really likable guy. You know, he, he was kind of the everyman of the show. Kind of, he kind of fulfilled the, um, the Dr. McCoy role on the show. You know, he wasn't quite as acerbic as Dr. McCoy, but at the same rate, he was kind of the, the homespun. He would take the piss out of everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he was the captain's best friend, you know, so he was very McCoy-like in that. He was, uh, you know, he was, he was Southern raised and, you know, just kind of brought that, that homespun, you know, golly gee whiz, shucks, captain kind of, mentality to it and at the same rate he wasn't afraid to to say what was on his mind and stand his ground and and kind of keep the the captain grounded and i liked his character a hell of a lot he was one of the best characters on the show and they needlessly senselessly and stupidly killed him off in the finale to the show so i picked this book up because somewhere or other i'd heard things about you know the premise of the book. So I picked it up to see basically what, what was it going to be about and, and would I dig it? So this book starts out and it's the early 25th century and Nog, who is a Ferengi character from deep space nine, he's now uh, very old, you know, he's, he's now an old Ferengi and he comes to earth to visit his old friend, um, Jake Sisko, who was, Captain Sisko's son on the show on DS9. Well, now he's an old man and he's had this long career as a writer and in his last few projects, he's been like a like a mystery, like a, a detective novel uh, author. So Nog comes to his friend Jake, you know, to kind of reunite. They haven't seen each other in a while and he's got this mystery that he wants to lay on Jake, the, this thing that he's stumbled across that he thinks both will fascinate and interest his friend, but also that is kind of inflammatory. And he's trying to figure out what, what do I do with this? Not, you know, if this is really true and we can prove it, what are we going to do with this knowledge? Is this, you know, is this something that is meant for people to see after all these years? And the, and the basic premise is that the entire last episode of enterprise was faked that something happened behind the scenes and that a vast cover-up happened to basically protect the uh, very nascent Federation from certain knowledge. What I really, really, really enjoyed about this book was the authors really sell the premise. It totally works. That they, they go into the episode see in the episode it, it after trip dies they jump i think it's like five or six years into the they basically jump to the end of uh archer's mission where we see him speaking at the formation basically the official signing of the documents that will form the united federation of planets and so this book kind of starts in that process uh, you actually see how the Federation begins to form by something called the Coalition of Planets. They're about to sign this peace treaty that will bring together Earth and Vulcan and several other planets that become basically the founding fathers, the founding planets of what eventually will become the United Federation of Planets. And picking up threads of what was going on in the final season of Voy uh, excuse me, of Enterprise, 
um, we learn of this Romulan threat. And so basically, because of things that had happened during the course of the series and, and uh, Trip's feelings of, you know, really wanting to do something to, you know, do something more to protect his, his home and his home planet and all these things that are that are hinged on this coalition holding together and, and everything he decides to go to work for what is basically the men in black of Starfleet, which was a, a thing called Section 31. They were basically a, a secret black ops group within Starfleet that, you know, did the jobs that were too dirty for Starfleet to do, basically. You know, it's kind of like James Bond of Starfleet type of thing. Right, the CIA. Yeah, basically, yeah. And see, on, and, and it's totally believable because one of the characters on the Enterprise we found out during the course of the series actually worked for Section 31, and we never knew it until late in the series. So they basically recruit Trip to work for Section 31. So what they happens is they to... fake his death, yes, so that he can go undercover to infiltrate the Romulan Empire because they um, this all spawns out of the fact that the Romulans late in Enterprise they had stolen this um, there was this sub race of people on Andoria that were um, psychic people basically they, they, they were um, espers and they had used them to basically control these remote control ships that the Romulans were developing. And, you know, of course, Enterprise ended up defeating them and all that. Well, they learn that um, they're working on the project again, and a bunch of these espers get stolen off of Andoria. So that's what sets this whole thing in motion. So they know what's happening, you know? And... So with that knowledge of, of what the Romulans are up to, that's why Trip, you know, uh, basically he seeks out Section 31 because, you know, he, he has that sense of, of duty and obligation and he doesn't want to see uh, a, basically a reenactment of when the, the Zindi attacked Earth because, you know, that, that killed his sister and, and started a big uh, story arc on that show where, where Earth was imperiled. So... You know, it's basically, you know, his his sense of duty and obligation and everything causes him to, to seek out uh, Section 31. And they, you know, they very, you know, they're very eager to snap him up and they send him undercover. Now, what what I was most impressed with with this book, I mean, beyond the fact that it, it's really well written, there's a lot of action. The characters feel very true to the characters um, the storyline picks right up and and runs in a, in a really good and, and exciting direction. But what I really liked about this was these guys know their Star Trek and they know their Star Trek history because one of the things that I was afraid that, that they weren't going to pay attention to or, or that they were just not going to concern themselves with was... You know, in the in the big scheme of things, it's actually a pretty minor continuity point. But if you ever watch the classic Star Trek episode, you know the the Kirk era episode, um, Balance of Terror, where we meet the Romulans for the first time. Up until they, you know, Kirk 
or I think it's Spock that actually does it, until Spock taps into the bridge of the Romulan ship, they don't know what Romulans look like. There had actually been a war in Kirk's, you know, Kirk era's past with the Romulans where they didn't even know what the Romulans look like. They they were a faceless enemy to the fe- to the Federation until that episode with Kirk where they actually got to see them for the first time. So I was concerned of how are they going to continue to carry on this story and go f- forward with this? You know, how long could they keep this this faceless enemy story going, especially when they go in this direction of having Trip actually infiltrate the Romulan Empire. How how would that possibly work out? And I'll tell you, you know, you got to give these guys credit. They were incredibly inventive in ways that they got around that problem. And so for a lot of this book... I was just, I continue to be impressed with the, the very creative ways that they came up with to keep the secret. Because there's actually a point where crew members from the Enterprise go aboard a Romulan vessel and fight the Romulans. And I don't want to spoil it for you how they work around it, but they have a brilliant way that they work around um, the the Enterprise crew actually seeing what the Romulans actually look like. And it was, and it's not cheesy. It's, it's not hokey. It was actually very intelligent. And you were like, Oh, okay. Well, that's actually damn clever. Um, so for the whole book, I kept thinking, you know, how, how long can they maintain this and, and how is this going to work? Especially toward the end of the book where trip, it, it looks like he's actually going to come back to Federation space to basically try to warn the Federation about the, the plans that he's learned of. And that was the point where, um, see, I, I, I want to be careful and not spoil too much of this, but eventually he does reveal himself in, in what, see, he, he actually gets cosmetically altered to become a Romulan for the, for the you know, sake of this story. So when he gets back, he ends up meeting up with, I'll I'll just say, certain members of the Enterprise crew that now know what Romulans look like. And I was fearful of that through the whole book. But when it finally happens, that's when you learn the premise of this entire cover-up that they realize that the entire coalition is hinged on Earth and Vulcan being basically the the, the um, founding fathers, basically the glue that's going to hold this whole thing together. If it becomes public that the Romulans resemble the the Vulcans and may even be an offshoot of the Vulcans, that endangers everything. You know, it endangers the future, basically, of what would eventually become the United Federation of Planets. That's where the cover-up kicks in. And when I realized that, when they got to that part in the story, I was like, that's awesome. Because that totally works. Because now you, you're free to have Archer and his crew have adventures where they're fighting the Romulans and they can know what they look like now 
yet it still works within Kirk era that when Kirk and crew encounter right. the Romulans and learn what they look like, that they're still shocked because it wasn't public knowledge, that nobody knew. It's like knew. Us and the Aliens. Yeah. It's like Us and the Greys, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's really, um, uh, you know, I know that uh, that for, for a lot of Star Trek fans, um, Enterprise is something of a dirty word. I have to be honest. I have become uh, an Enterprise fan. I really, uh, I really enjoyed the show, and this book was was an awesome read for me. I really enjoyed it because it brought the best of that show into the novel. And uh, I would just encourage anybody that has a has an interest in a in you know not only a really good continuation of what I feel had become a, a really good show that died much too soon, but also just a really, really exciting and good uh, Star Trek novel that's that's a page turner, and also if you're interested in, in you know in Federation history, you know the learning the the roots basically of of how Starfleet and uh, and the Federation came to be, I'd say read it for those reasons because it, it it is really a fantastic read. I, I got a big kick out of it and I thought it was very enjoyable. I like how you worked the roots. Jordi LaForge, Coup de Quinte <laughs> connection in there. Right? That's what you were going for, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Also, uh, well, well one ca- caveat going into this, so one warning is that... Um, caveat. You have to know... I mean, you have to kind of be up on your, on your enterprise knowledge. You know, you have to have... I would say you have to be familiar with the third and fourth seasons, you know, the final two seasons of that show going in because I was a little bit rusty on the continuity because it pretty much picks up right where the show left off. But some of the threads that were going on as far as, uh, uh, you know, the whole Peter Weller subplot with, uh, the earth first movement or whatever the hell those guys were called, you know, they were, they were basically like, you know, like 22nd century Nazis or whatever the hell, you know, that, that wanted to keep, you know, the human race pure and that sort of thing. That subplot carries forward a little bit. Um, the subplot between Trip and T'Pol and and their and their dead uh, child carries forward, and then of course the whole Romulan thing sounds cheerful. Yeah, the you know the whole Romulan plot carries forward, which was really cool because even though it was a novel, I liked that um, Brian Thompson's character, you know, the character he played rather in the show um, plays a pretty uh, important role in this book. Cause I'm just a Brian Thompson fan. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I want to encourage folks that, that may not actually listen to both editions of, uh, of Star Trek that we do every month to, uh, you know, if you also like uh, Brian Thompson, come back for uh, the next gen episode this month. Cause uh, we're, we're going to have some uh, Brian Thompson in our next gen this month. So I'm excited about that. But that's all I got on that one. It's uh, again the name of the book is Star Trek Enterprise: The Good That Men Do. I give it two thumbs, way way up. I thought it was a fantastic read. I really really enjoyed it. Uh, I'll have to someday. I'll have to watch the Enterprise show. Mm-hmm. That Enterprise show. <laughs> but I think we're about ready to hop right back on the Enterprise. Yes, absolutely. Escape is quite impossible. The captain abducted. You are to be trained and spend the rest of your lives here. The Enterprise held hostage. None of your control systems will operate. And the stakes couldn't be higher. Stop it! 
you lose, Captain, your alternative is death. Star Trek. All right, so this time around, we are looking at a, a true classic, something of a wacky classic, but it's a true classic anyway. And let's see, did I bookmark the right page? I did not bookmark the right page. Eh, give me just a second. Gamesters of Triskelion. What, uh, what episode number is this? Do you know? 197. There it is. I kind of <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> this one, uh, this one actually aired January 5th, 1968. So it predates, predates you and I by just a couple of months. Most of these episodes do anyway. And, uh, let's see, what is the synopsis on this one? We got as Captain Kirk, Lieutenant Uhura or Uhura, depending on Uhura. Uhura. And <laughs> Mr. Chekhov are about to beam down on a routine survey mission. No, they're not. Aren't they beaming down to, like, check on the equipment at some automated station or something? That's what I thought it was. Something yes. like that. It was, yeah, whatever. Some bullshit. Yeah. Reason. They are abducted by means of a powerful transporter beam. They arrive on the planet Triskelion in the trinary star system M24 Alpha. Kirk and company learn that they are to be used as gladiators to fight in games staged for the amusement of the providers, the rulers of the planet. While Mr. Spock attempts to determine where his captain has been spirited away to, Kirk and his companions experience various ordeals, including excruciating pain inflicted by Galt, the master thrall. When the Enterprise arrives and orbits Triskelion, the providers capture... The starship. To save all aboard, Kirk proposes a wager with the providers who are actually aged and bored beings resembling disembodied brains. <laughs> Kirk is pitted against Shauna, whom he uh, has attempted to teach about love and loyalty. He wins the contest. The providers pay the price and free the Enterprise crew as well as every thrall on the planet. Free the thralls. <laughs> so what do you think of the gamesters of Triskelion? Oh, I had a riot all the way through <laughs> yeah, this one. I, know. I, love this. <laughs> oh. I love when they first start scrapping and they've got the giant, you know, furry guy with the snaggle teeth. It's like Kirk takes the, the space like Herman's Hermit guy and Chekhov gets the, <laughs> you know, the gigantic, you know, Humunculus to fight. <laughs> it's just like, all right, check off. You take him. I'll, I'll take the little, the guy with the other guy was like perfectly matched for Chekhov. Yep. He had like the opposite, like a photo negative version of his haircut. I call him Space Tony, Tony Curtis because that's what it's like. <laughs> that's every time I see this episode, I think he looks like a young Tony Curtis. So I call him Space Tony Curtis now. But yeah, yeah, yeah uh, there's space Anton LaVey in this one too, <laughs> and there's space B Arthur. You got that the the, the Chekhov's Chekhov's girlfriend oh, God, in this yes. one. I'm looking at her going, you know, they're 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 portraying her as the repulsive one just because she's not like Shauna, or Shauna is it Shauna? Shauna, yeah. So and 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 I'm like, you know, she's not that ugly. And then then they like dub B. Arthur's voice into 
She's a man, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm because because Chekhov is all like, "Ooh, I'm getting repulsed." And I was I was thinking, eh, if I was in a cell for the rest of my life, I wouldn't be as standoffish as Chekhov. But then, yeah, then the talking <laughs> begins, and it's like, oh, okay. But yeah, this isn't this isn't the most feminist episode of Star Trek ever shot. I'll, I'll, I'm just gonna <laughs> say at the beginning of this this episode. So there'll be comments that are appropriate to that, <laughs> or inappropriate to that, inappropriate yes. to that, or whatever. But um, oh my God, I forgot about Shauna's outfit in 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 the intervening years. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it's just because they've, you know, upped the, the, the video quality. But I was like, God damn, they got away with a lot in those days. That's yes. A pretty, that's a pretty skimpy outfit there that uh, that old Shauna's wearing. There are two things that they get away with in this episode that keeping in mind that this was the very tame days of, you know, 1960, you know, the, the late 1960s where i mean you know they didn't even want to have a, a black woman on the on the bridge of the enterprise for god's sakes there's two huge things in this episode is one you've got mccoy saying you're out of your vulcan mind now keeping in mind that vulcan <laughs> you know on a, on a shitty yes. 1960s or 70s tv show could be misconstrued as a you know as an offensive term but this was at the same time as you bet your sweet bippy and right, there, yeah. was, there was there was another what was the other one there was another saying on there that was uh close to uh you yeah. know to swearing too so yeah they were pushing some I didn't even think of that I'm just yeah. so used to McCoy telling him he's out of his Vulcan mind or you know that it that it didn't even strike See, me as I didn't realize he'd ever said that on the show I, I I guess I just forgot I really thought that that was more of a movie thing you know motion right. one of the motion pictures I and when he did it in this and he says it you know in that way where I mean if you weren't a Star Trek fan and you weren't listening for it or whatever I mean I could see you easily misconstruing what he said because it's like the what is her, her it? Mom going from the kitchen, like, what are you guys watching in there? Right. Well, there, there's a famous. Oh, I know what it is. It's it's the Wizard of Oz. It, it, right at the beginning of the Wizard of Oz, there's the scene where the old bitch comes to the farm there, and she wants Toto so she can take him and have him put down. And she says a line that I, I've since seen the script, so I I I I, I know she's not swearing. Right. But if you listen, if you watch that and you listen to it, she goes, it sounds like she says, I'll bring it. What is it called? An injuncture? Is that the word? An injunction? I'll, I'll bring an injunction. Yeah, that's it. Injunction. I'll bring an injunction. I'll take your whole damn farm is what it sounds like she says. I let him go in her garden. You can send me to bed without supper. If you don't hand over that dog, I'll bring the damn suit and take your whole farm. It's actually not what she says. It, it's actually, uh, I can't remember what the, the real line is. But it's said so fast, and 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 you know that that delivery that she has that that's actually w what most people believe she says, but it's not. I can see the same thing happening. This where you know again, you, it could be very easily misconstrued. You know the way he says it. Um, the other big thing, and again, you know, keeping in mind that you know at the time you would have been watching this more than likely on a shitty you know black and white. TV set with lousy reception and you know a little round screen. 
dude, I'm telling you, watching this now on a on a larger screen and you know the high def DVD and all that, where you can actually frame per frame. If you frame per frame through the shots where she's laying on the ground twitching and writhing and everything as Kirk begs the providers for her life, uh, I'm not kidding. You can see right up the the little you know space aluminum foil underwear that she's got in that scene and i was amazed about this i i was watching that going no wait a minute no i am not seeing what i think i'm seeing here wait did you you mean you're actually saying you're it was hoo-ha not i mean not you don't see it exactly but i mean it's more you're getting there it's more of it than i ever would have expected from a, a 60s tv show i mean because there there literally is so a shot no, Lindsay you, Lohan no no i mean okay. you're yeah no i mean it's not you know uh basic instinct right but again you know i mean it, it it's enough that i'm amazed that i saw this you know what i mean uh, it was one of those things where i'm just watching this going how the only the only thing i can think is that they just didn't have the technology to do that back then you know for one thing you know there there wasn't videotape there wasn't you know pause and rewind and you know frame prefer- none of that stuff so it's one of those things where you know if you couldn't see it with the naked eye then it wasn't there and and it got past the sensors kind of thing but with that ability now it's like wow you know <laughs> You know, it's, it's the same thing as the original King technology. Kong, you know? In the original King Kong, there's a scene uh, after Fay Ray jumps off the cliff to get away from Kong where one of her boobs slips out. That's in the movie plain as day, but you gotta be looking for it, and it's pretty much a frame-per-framer as well. And that movie's from, what, the 30s? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's the same, it's the same exact thing. You gotta love technology. <laughs> Kirk is so, so, just so in predator mode in this one. Oh, yes, he, yes. You know, he's doing the, like, oh, this girl is so, he's doing the, you know, just such the condescending, like, oh, have you ever looked at the knights and talking to her like she's like a three-year-old child? It's just like. Well, she is pretty naive, though, you know. Right, but, you know, Shatner plays it up, you know. It's almost, it's on the borderline, if not over the border into creepy, it, it, into creepy yeah. town. Well, you know what? It, it hit me for the first time what this really is. This is Kirk and Wonder Woman hooking up. Because think about it, you know, Wonder Woman, at mm-hmm. least when she first comes over from her little, you know, from Lesbian Island, you know, I mean, she's innocent. She doesn't know anything about man's world or whatever. What if she had run across, what if Kirk had been the first man that Wonder Woman ran across when she got to man's world? <laughs> oh, you know, no. and that's kind of the scenario going on here. Yeah, she's a great warrior and a great fighter and all that, but she doesn't know anything about, you know, sex and love and men and everything. You know, she's she's been raised to just fight. I, I kind of like that, actually. It is super creepy the way he just, he's, you know, because... He's on her, like, he yeah, is. Like, I mean, the right opening scene is, is her knocking him down with that big pole. She puts the blade to his throat, and instead of being like, oh, shit... He just has this look like, hi, hey, kind of <laughs> cute. James, James T. Kirk. <laughs> You're good with a blade. I see. Oh, yeah. He turns on the charm right away. Even with the knife at his throat, he's Because Kirk knows it. if he ends up there for the rest of his life, he's got to start 
right. start, you know, planting some <laughs> seeds right off at the beginning. He ain't going to wind up with Chekhov's chick. That's what he's thinking about. <laughs> Chekhov's thinking, maybe I'll get a chance to put a spear in her gut, you know, before they pair us up. <laughs> oh, this, this episode... It, it, it just has all sorts of fun things happening. It does. It does. It cracks me up to a point where sometimes I feel like I, maybe I'm mocking it too much, but it, it's just, there's a lot of comedy in this, whether it's intentional or not. There's a lot of comedy in it. One of my favorite parts of this one is right at the beginning when Scotty calls up to the bridge and he's like, hey, they just disappeared off the transporter pad. And, Scott, and Spock has that <laughs> stupid line where he goes, uh, well, I assume you mean in a manner not consistent with the blah, blah, blah. And Scotty's just like, well, of course. I mean, why I would I call you? <laughs> Scotty was getting froggy with Spock all through this episode. He gets in Spock's face with, you know, later on up, up on the bridge. I just love that part because he just, he just gets pissed with him. Yeah, it's like, what the hell did you think I meant? My favorite is is now that you can see everything, you get to see like that Kirk's eating like space skittles. <laughs> right. He's like, mm, this food's pretty good. It's it's got the whole rainbow in it. Mm. Well, speaking of of things that I never could see before, Kirk bounces a phaser off space Tony Curtis's face. Did you see that? <laughs> yes. I've never seen That's that. That's one of my notes. He, I mean, he, that, that my note like is just phaser to the face. Now, that's that's mine exactly. Phaser to the face. <laughs> I have the same exact note. There's I, a few had, boots to the head too. I had never noticed, but he looks hurt, doesn't he? I mean, the way I'm he flinches. Sure I mean, that looks like it hurt him. I'm and sure then, probably cursing Shatner's name. Two scenes later, it's back in Kirk's <laughs> hands too, which I thought was was weird. But yeah, because I, I was watching that scene, and I saw something, and, you know, something kind of fly by the screen. I thought, "What the hell was that? A bat?" And so I rewound it and watched it again. I was like, "Jesus! He just bounced that phaser off that guy's face." The goddamn props made out of hard wood, you asshole. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> in the moment. Oh man, I mean, but that. Well, Look, it really For all does. we know, Kirk really put the spears into those guys' guts, you know? <laughs> That's why they weren't in ever, ever sorry, in Sorry, sorry. So. <laughs> uh, uh, hmm? Another thing I notice is when they're, when they're, when he's eating his Skittles and he decides to be like, do you want to see what beautiful is? And, like, holds up the... <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. But... That's a straight up catering pan. They they probably went right over to where they got the you know, got the food, got the food, got the bottom pan out of it, dumped the water out of it, and said, "Here we go, polish it up real good." Because I'm like, that's a lid to a half pan, and then I see the half pan sitting in the background. I'm like, oh man, they just rated catering for props in, mm-hmm. in this episode, which hey, you know, <laughs> they were pretty space age back then, I guess. That, that, <laughs> That stainless steel, it's it's pretty uh pretty space age. There's not a whole lot of enhancement in this episode, but the stuff that is enhanced looked really, really good. The planets are nice, you know, the planets from space again. There's one planet with rings. 
yeah. you know, that are that are really beautiful. A nice brown, you know, just sort of dead looking planet with rings. Mm-hmm. With a with a brown, you know, ring around it. Yeah. It did though. It looked really sharp, I thought. Um I think uh what's his name? Galt? His the way he talks and his his voice and his diction and everything reminds me a lot of Box from Logan's Run. Yes, <laughs> Box Anton Levey. <laughs> I he's like such that. a he's such a prick. I wonder if they kicked his ass at the end once they were fr- all free. They were like, "All right, dude, <laughs> we'll see who's we'll see who's boss now that we uh, got the collars off because he wasn't fighting anybody." Was he uh was he one of the Mego figures? Did they make a Mego of him? They might have. They might have. That would be just so bizarre, but they might have. He's I mean they obviously were 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 trying to do Anton LaVey with with him. He was just <laughs> the total he, you know, he would look right at home at like a black mass somewhere in some cheesy, you know, the you know, devil movie from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, race with the devil or something. Yeah. Yeah. No. That actually be that actually be pretty cool if you could go back and put uh you know like digitally put Galt into Race with the Devil. I'd make it an even freakier movie than it already is. <laughs> Especially if he still did the glowing the glowing <laughs> eyes. Now, did you notice this? I think when when they showed a shot from above of of the three brain brains in the in their little dome there. Didn't mm-hmm. it look like there were three like cloaks on the ground? I'm like, what is that on the ground? I'm like, it looks like somebody like, you know, dropped a cloak or or something. And I'm like, I bet you that was like when they were in human fo- when they left their human form, they dropped their cloaks and climbed into the machine or something, and now they're just brains. And I didn't. I, I never didn't noticed even that before, but I yeah. saw them there, and I'm like, those were you know, they're purposely. There's like three of them, and there's three brains. Three color-coded brains. <laughs> I like how quickly that, you know, after eons of being gamblers, how quickly Kirk can, you know, basically pull his computer trick on him. Mm-hmm. Kirk pulls all his standard Kirk tricks in this. He has the girl to pull his girl tricks on and the brains to pull his brain tricks on. Well, I like that when he and Shauna are out in the, the wilderness in that one scene and he's pumping her jogging. for information... Yeah, and he asked her, her information, man. <laughs> he asked her, "Are they computers?" And I'm thinking, he's thinking to himself, "Well, if they're computers, then I'll be able I, to I got talk this to them. Yeah, I got this <laughs> lick. I can talk. I know how to make themselves them. up. Yeah, I know how to make their ears start smoking. <laughs> I think I was watching that scene, and I'm like, "Why is this going on so long before her? You know, their neck things go off." And I'm like, "Those dirty, those dirty triscallions are waiting to, to get a little triscallion porn." on that because it's obviously another one of those planets with cameras all over the place because you know the enterprise gets a, a live broadcast of the of the games right once again once again <laughs> so St- star trek actually gets to watch star trek again you know for screen. for little brains under glass they're actually pretty good cameramen too <laughs> yeah i know I love I I love pulsing brains under glass. It's just <laughs> awesome. I I love that. Like there was a period of time where everybody's like, well, naturally that's where mankind's headed is just a brain and saline solution somewhere. 
How the hell am I supposed to hold my 360 controller if I'm nothing but a brain in a <laughs> under glass? Your brain is a 360 controller at that point, man. <laughs> You're the human weed. Nah, I don't. I don't. No, nah, I don't want that. I still want the ability to throw the controller across the room and cuss and swear when I lose at a game. I I wouldn't want it to actually be in my head. That would suck. You see, if I were the gamesters of Triscallion. I would be more trying to find out how I was going to get into a body and uh, go talk to Shauna. That's, <laughs> you know, rather than betting Quatlu's. And, and what the hell? They are three brains under, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up, even though I know it's a stupid sci-fi story. They're three brains under glass. They're incredibly old and advanced. <laughs> I know. Right? What do they? What are what they, are they buying gonna, and what selling? Are they there's, do? Yeah, there's exactly. three of them. There's three of them. <laughs> it's not like they're gonna go to a store somewhere, you know, and go shopping and like, how many quatlus for the Mickey Mouse ears? You know, <laughs> fifty quatlus, seventy-five quatlus. You know, it, uh, what what are these quatlus and why are they so important? You know. I mean, what what are they going to do with the goddamn things? It looks like they're just sort of plugged into the whatever their power source is. Obviously, the same power source that they had at the in the Devil in the Dark. I think but, the implication, or at least what I take away from it anyway, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not really implied at all, but what I take away from it is, is this is kind of just... It, it's like... I don't think we've covered this episode yet, but it's like in um, A Taste of Armageddon. You know, the war's been going on so long that they don't even remember what the hell they're fighting about anymore. Yeah. It's it's all just, you know, routine to them. So I think it's kind of the same thing with these guys that there probably aren't actually any Quatlus anymore. It's just Well, I was going to say, Kirk should have probably found their Quatlu vault and just got all their <laughs> Quatlus and been like, what are, you gonna, what, what are you guys going to do now, motherfucker? I got the Quatlus right here. <laughs> I got what your are you guys right do? here. I, yeah, I got your Quatlu's right here. What are you gonna do? Get, you know, you know, flop, <laughs> flop over here and uh, try and get them away from me. As a matter of fact, here, look, I'll put one on my shoulder. If you can knock it off, you can have it. <laughs> Fifty Quatlu's that you'll be destroyed when you uh, <laughs> leave your your tank, your little pedestal. I was kind of, I, 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 I wish they had saline solution, but the pedestals were cool. I just wanted to see Kirk get really pissed and just start rocking that little glass dome that they were under, you know, like trying That's to tip another... it over and smash it or something. That's another thing I was thinking is like, why not just grab grab a rock and just like crack it open and be like, game over. Hey, I'm juggling three brains now. Look at that. 50 quatlus. I, I, 50 quatlus I can juggle them for more than 10 seconds. What do you say, guys? You know, have, him, have him go get a stick and you know play play some uh, brain baseball. You know ex- exactly. You know whack a brain or whatever. It's <laughs> it's 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 simple. There's the end of his problem right there. You know, and 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 it, what you could see he could he could take a few. I love they always whenever you have your neck pain machine in Star Trek, which I guess is a thing that all tech alien technologies get to eventually, is a thing to put on your neck to cause pain. But you notice Shatner always gets to run right up into the camera <laughs> and, and and stay upright and, you know, more than everybody else. 
But he was such a master that, you know, they were probably just like, all right, you're going to have to do one of your pain runs up to the camera. And, he, you know, by that time, it's like, all right, go. And then he runs up. And you, <laughs> and you see everybody else crumple behind him. But Kirk's got to be up, you know, for three or four more seconds behind that. <laughs> behind them to show that he, you know he's made of sterner stuff that's why he's the captain he shatner like talking to the director going you see that's why he's the captain and not right them. right me well it's like that it's like that wallpaper that i love so much you know the one where uh you know it shows him putting together the the makeshift cannon to defeat the gorn and it says something you know of course you know kirk would know you know how to make gunpowder in a and a cannon to defeat the Gore. That's why he's the goddamn captain. I love that wallpaper. It's awesome. Because it's the truth. That's why he's the captain. <laughs> I figured um, out a way to... I would have defeated the Gorn that Kirk didn't think of. I would have just started shoving rocks in his mouth. I would have just stood behind him and, like, started shoving... Smash his teeth out? No, just fill his mouth with and throw it with rocks, you know? Because he was just sort of sitting there going... <laughs> just like... Anyway, that's neither here nor um, there. The the uh, I noticed that they added some lens flare in this episode in a couple of the space shots, but it was so tasteful that you could miss it, unlike the J.J. Abrams. But they <laughs> yeah, actually be they beat him to some lens flare with with this. <laughs> um, despite some uh, amazing similarities. Now I realized that callbacks weren't a staple of television of this era, but still, despite a lot of amazing similarities, I, I'm, I am still a little bit surprised that there's absolutely no mention of, uh, of Christopher Pike or of uh, the cage or menagerie or anything. Cause it is a very similar plot yeah. in, in some aspects, you know, the whole, you know, kidnapped and, you know, forced to, uh, you know, sur you know, yeah. Amuse basically. Brains. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> now you notice that the fight at the end, they're like, you know, Kirk had to stay on the yellow and what was the other color? It was like blue or something. And that's bullshit. He's first, all over the map. His on first that. step is on the yellow. His very, it's like, it's like, it would have been so funny if it would have been like, and then like, <laughs> game over. Yeah, these guys have the technology to freeze the Enterprise and, you know, stay alive forever. You'd think they'd at least be able to tell when somebody steps off the their color. Yeah, Kirk, didn't... Kirk doesn't even try. It seems like <laughs> he's just being fancy, that's all. Yeah, they didn't have uh, instant replay on their planet, I guess. No, but Yeah, you'd think they would be the innovators in instant replay with this eternity of of gambling now every time we get an episode in the second or third season that doesn't have sulu in it i've i always end up think, thinking the same thing oh he must have been off doing uh the green berets with john wayne at that at, you know at that time turns out i was looking at uh something you know doing a little bit of just basic homework on this one today and then sure enough he actually was off doing the Green Berets with John Wayne at the time that this episode was made. That's <laughs> what are you that's saying about John Wayne? He and he and George Sakai were off doing Green Berets. Yeah, there you go. I didn't know that about John Wayne. Why? <laughs> oh yes, it. <laughs> it's getting to be goddamn ridiculous. And uh, the woman at navigation is uh, Lieutenant Haynes. Who the hell is she? Will we ever see her again? I, she's not the same woman. 
who was doing communications last no last no that's we were um, watching. was was she what was her name Les leslie or something like i can't remember no but it's not and you know speaking of that I would swear up until they finally do have a really clear shot of her. I kept thinking that they snuck Nichelle Nichols back onto the bridge because right after they disappear, the next time you get some bridge shots where where you know, Spock and, uh, and Scotty and, you know, McCoy are all doing their, you know, what are we going to do? And, you know, let's keep searching. No, let's go off and do, you know, there's a lot of exposition with those three figuring out what their plan is. But there's a communications officer that has taken over from Uhura, and she sits in the background through almost the entire episode whenever they're they're on the bridge, you know, doing a bridge scene. And she was a black woman that looks a lot like um, Nichelle Nichols from the back, but she was wearing a gold uniform instead of a red one. And I kept thinking maybe they just snuck her back in there, and that's why they weren't showing her uh, face. But no. But then they finally do end up showing her, and it was actually a different black woman. And I thought, well, that's that's actually pretty cool. I had no idea. I'm, I'm always surprised for I don't know why but still, anymore. But even I, though, I am, even though they're busting through like stereotypes, they're creating new stereotypes, like black women at communication on the Enterprise. <laughs> they're kind of random stereotypes, and only only right. only Scottish people, you know, Scottish people in the in the in the engineering section, you know, it's, it's like a, a whole new set of 23rd century stereotypes. <laughs> Not at all what I meant. Not at all what I meant, but I, it just, you know, yeah. I mean, granted, Uhura is there and she's a black woman. So I don't know why this continues to surprise me, but it does. Every time we see more colored people on the enterprise, it, it always kind of surprises me that I just, you know they're they're there. There's not any big deal made about them or whatever. But I just I really don't remember there being that many. I remember it being Ahura, and there actually is a lot more of them than Ahura. I I just think that's really cool that you know that it truly was an integrated uh, ship and cast and and starship. I just think that's really well, it was cool. Funny because as far as integration goes, there you know in the in these shows, actually you would see plenty of black guys showing up. And even on Star Trek, there's always a red shirt, you know, a guy in red shirt, a guy right, in engineering yeah, hanging true, around. Yeah. But for some reason, you know, it was like the du- you know the double minority effect. It's uh, it's funny because women are like 52 percent of the population, and but, right. but you know, but the you know the double strike effect of being a black woman made it even even rarer on right on Star Trek, and, and it's just weird. You're on you know in TV in general at that time. I guess that's what I'm getting at is that if, if someone had asked me and I, you know, I consider myself pretty well versed when it comes to Star Trek trivia. If somebody had asked me who's the next black Starfleet woman, you know, um, who, the next black woman officer we see in Star Trek after Uhura, I'd have probably said the the black woman um, starship captain at the beginning of Star Trek four. Because that's right, the only one right. I could think of off the top of my head, and and here's one in in this. Episode. I just think that that's really cool, that you know we, we see here that this wasn't just it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't um, you know where they were saying like like she's the only one that could. And no, here here's another woman that's that's you know perfectly capable of of doing the same job. I, I just think that that's really cool, and I, I can't believe I just never really noticed it before. It was a, you know that time period and and. 
you know, Roddenberry, if anything, you can, you know, it depends on what day you ask me whether Roddenberry was more motivated by social, you know, a feeling of social prerogative or if it was just being a savvy businessman and seeing, you know, what was, it was, you know, like if I could see Roddenberry nowadays would be involved with something like Will and Grace, you know, where it's like, oh, let's do a, a sitcom with two gay characters and people going, what, what? And all of a sudden it's on TV and, you know, and that wasn't going to happen on the Enterprise for sure. But he was like, hmm, you know, let's t- there's there's obviously, a, you know, a, there, you know, the whole 60s thing was was pretty much, you know, coming Well, the 60s themselves were coming to an end. But there was that, right. that whole social movement and stuff. And, you know, not only were some of those guys Roddenberry's age like, hey, you know, I sort of know what these kids mean by we're all equal and stuff like that. And, yeah, they're right. A lot of them were like, hey, you know, this is <laughs> in the news all the time. And uh, people are talking about this and arguing about it. And and even if people hate, hate right. that there's a black woman on the bridge, they're going to watch it and they're going to write letters and make excitement and stuff so i you know i mean i i imagine it's a combination of the two that that right well i mean this was right at the height of the of the civil rights movement i mean you know uh uh uh, king's assassination was still you know four months away at this point so yeah this was this was right at the the peak of all that i i you know i i try to be a little less um um cynical about it i i really think that this was him trying to be optimistic and and i think to a certain degree i i think it was him being a little bit prescient oh, too. Yeah. I, I think he had a really good ability to look around at the, at the world around him and not only pick out things that you know that he was hopeful about but also that he he just looked at and said this is kind of where I think you know this is headed. We're, fight, we're fighting know? And about I, racism right now, but by the twenty third century, let's let's right. let's portray it by so we know at least by then we've hashed it out and nobody cares at that point. You know exactly with with all this. And it, stuff. it's it's and I'm torn as to whether I think that was you know wishful thinking, but not in like a Pollyanna kind of way, but just in a way of of looking at it and going. No, I, I I really believe that we're headed this way. Or here, here's the really interesting thing, is because he was he was positive about it and and really felt that this was a direction. Did he actually, maybe actually, cause the very thing that that he was hopeful about? Like you know think, what I mean? I like, well, I like to think that he was, you know, that the you know everybody who was doing stuff like that was you know doing their little part to to push it forward but you right. know i mean like i said i'm torn with roddenberry whether i think he was you know an opportunist you know the he was that combination of of the two but you know the thing about him that was a little different and not you know well it was more different cuz he was on tv with with something science fiction the science fiction authors of his day we're certainly doing it, but it was a projection of a future. It wasn't just a, a you know, a, I mean, a lot of these stories of, of, you know, um, 
racial stories and kids doing their own thing and stuff were turning up on every TV show. Right. Present day context. But with the future, it gives you something to visual. And I think it definitely had an effect on people who watched it as kids. When you're a kid and you see Star Trek, especially like us, where like Star Trek was pretty much state of the art, you know, before Star Wars came along. And when you watch that as a kid, I, I, I totally was just like between that and like the whole Earth catalog type stuff. I was totally like, yeah, that's what the future would be. You know, that's what the future would be like. We would be right. past all this all this stuff and into these more you know esoteric um problems or we would be dealing with those problems with lesser lesser evolved civilizations or something like that right but um you know i don't know how you know how purposeful it is but the thing about it is it certainly had a resonance cuz it's still going you know it mm-hmm. it's still going got it, that's the that's the thing that that bother that bothers me the most about the new Star Trek, which I enjoyed. You know, I'm not a hater on that film, but at the same time, it doesn't. It just doesn't fit into that that fu- the the future of like the future of that's portrayed in that Star Trek is a more martial future. It's a more. Um down to earth future you know like earth is like there's still a sleazy bars with people picking fights and you know bars still sort of like sleazy and and grungy and all that you know you know what i mean and i and do it's, it's it's not it it doesn't look like it is a as advanced future at least it looks like it's more technologically advanced but less um yeah, society hasn't advanced as much you know it looks just it, right. it looks more of an extension of our of our society now you know like they they transposed a little bit of our society onto star trek and that ruins a lot of it for me because you you may have just hit upon you know I, it's funny i never put that together before but i think you may have just hit upon the 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 thing I've been struggling trying to figure well, out all this solver. time, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I I think that's it right there. Is that it, it's no longer. I, I think they dropped what they considered to be maybe one of the the, the, the cheesier or I yeah, like the lame parts. Right when they talk about well we we you know. Uh, there was that famous onion parody of the people you know they're like where are all the scenes of people sitting around a table in committee that's star trek the next generation that's not star trek mm-hmm. the original series the, the original right. series is you could reboot the the um um series and just make it a little more like the old series or you know or less like you know, or more when the actors were younger, more a little rough and tumble and and getting the girls and action oriented and cheese oriented even. But still to right. ditch that to ditch that, you know, there was no there was no social um anything, you know, there was no real it insight. Wasn't optimistic. Well yeah, you didn't see anything. You didn't have any you didn't have anybody right. comment on, you know, how it was different. <clears throat> it was only 
what you see visually in the film, what you pick up from what's going on around you. And right. yeah, it and it's not reflected. I mean, it, it is reflected in the, you know, you know, the multiracial and, you know, literally multiracial now uh, cast and stuff like that. But that's about it. You know, there's nothing, you know, still like, okay, so, uh, look at this. When, 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 um, Ahura finds out Kirk's sleeping with her, her roommate, you know, she's sort of, it's, it's like two, two girls in a dorm and the other one's like, oh, slutty green girls got another guy here. It's like, right. no, in the future, it's like, oh, they're having sex. I'll give them a, you know, I'll give them a, a few, I'll go down, uh, you know, get on the exercise bike for a couple hours and let them have their, have their fun. You right. know, it's, it's, you know, but it wasn't. It was sort of. It was. Uh, it was nudgy, winky, you know. It had that sort of like dirty, dirty sex twentieth century thing about it, you know. Of like, oh, Kirk, right. he's such a womanizer and stuff. And you know, I always gotten the, the impression in the future that it was just like, hey, you know, whatever, whatever two people want to do, we don't care, you know. You know that. You know, and and. And men, it was sort of a little Logan's Run thing where everybody was a little more free and easy about their right. sexuality because I imagine birth control is pretty much under control by the 23rd century. You know, venereal diseases are pretty either under control or completely just like curable. So it's like, what is the, you know, what is the risk of sex, you know, right. you know, and, and, uh, and there doesn't seem to be See, the religious weirdness, of, you know, shame thing going on. See, this is a lesson I thought the powers that be behind Star Trek ha had finally learned. You know, I, I, I feel like may maybe this is deserved. You know, I, I'm not trying to, to, to whine about this, but I feel like I do take a lot of shit about my stance on star trek deep space nine it basically comes down to this the entire premise of that series was when uh i'm trying to remember the guy's name he's got an unusual name it's i i think it's ira something he's kind of a hippie he's kind of a weirdo and he came into that show and he basically had pitched the idea of you know this whole Roddenberry Star Trek thing, it's just a little too fake for me. It's a little too happy, bright, shiny future. I want to see the dirty underbelly. You know, I, he goes, I, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to kick the rocks over and, and see what scurries out from, you know, when, when you shine the light a little bit, you know, in, in the dark places. <sighs> That's not Star Trek, God it's damn it! It's okay once in a while. That's not no, no. It's I don't think it oh, well, is. Like I what mean, about that next generation fine. with the parasite thing? You know, with the whole you know Starfleet. Well, going that's bad. different though. That's di no, but see, that's different. That's actually not Starfleet going bad. That's that's an outside race right. of little parasitic right, aliens that come but in. But you're still able to do the story of Starfleet going bad and then have it be parasites at right, the end. But, you know, you right, can exactly. do it. You yeah. can do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, but I the the basic premise of that show is that you know it's actually not a bright, ha happy, shiny future because these people that live off on this 
remote space station, they're all miserable assholes. You know, life sucks maybe, out there. Maybe on the that's why they get sent like, to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, maybe that's where... The, yeah, exactly. It, it, it just... No, that <laughs> bugs the shit out of me. It's like, why, why does anybody in their right mind, why would you feel the need to take the 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 last bastion <laughs> of the future's going to be a good place a positive hopeful inspirational place why would you want to muddy that right. up it's, well it's you the know? future it's it, the it's, future it's like as taking... mankind has solved the problems of earth and is now moving out you know now truly growing you know is moving out has right. advanced enough to the point of where they can go out, we can go out and meet other races and, you know, be responsible enough to do that without d destroying everything in our path. That's, that's right. a good, <laughs> that's a good thing to shoot for. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, and, and again, you know, just to kind of bring this full circle, that that's one of the reasons that, you know, warts and all, I will give Enterprise a, a wide pass because I came to realize as that show was winding up, you know, and and especially in the that last season, especially leading into the series finale, I felt like they were getting it. They they were starting to show us that humanity was on was that path there, yeah. to where Kirk was by the time we we pick up with Kirk and right. crew, they were on the tail that, end of be of the problems of humanity. Right, right, and and that's one of the reasons I came to really enjoy that show was I saw Enterprise as the bridge between the Apollo program and Kirk. Is that you know we we had the beginnings of the space program and the space race and and getting to the moon and all that sort of thing. Kirk was like the ultimate extension of that. Man had made it out into space, and not only had we made it out there, we weren't out there as conquerors and warriors. We were out there as a race that had finally got our shit together, and we were out there to explore and make friends and, and learn. You know, learn. And Enterprise is a perfect, like, right in the middle of that. It's like, no, we still have uh, foibles. We still have problems. We're still learning. This is the baby steps. But by the end of that series, you could see, you know, we'd made friends out there. We'd made some enemies. We'd, we'd fallen a couple of times. We'd, we'd been in some bad situations. But we were on our way as a species to, to head in a positive direction so I really came to feel that that you know whoever it is behind the scenes that ultimately controls Star Trek realized that's why Star Trek is Star yeah. Trek and it's not Star Wars it's not Babylon right. 5 it's not Battlestar Galactica it is its own unique you know science fiction outer space franchise because of that aspect it's not about ray guns ro you know, rocket ships and robots with Star Trek it's about the future is a positive place to live in. You know, we can we can be a good people out in space. That's Star Trek to me, and Abrams' vision is not. You know, and I'm not 
I didn't hate it. I mean, because it is it's a, an entertaining I mean, it's a pretty piece good of rock and it. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's it's a rock and action movie, but ultimately at the end of the day, I can get that from watching Attack of the Clones. I can get the same, you know, shit blowing up that I can get from both of those. I, that's not right. the movie I went to right. see. I went to see the movie that's going to make me walk out going, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about the future. You know, I'm thinking about this, this issue that was brought before me in a science fiction format, you know, some, something about race or, you know, whatever, you know, that, that's Star Trek to me. Yeah. You don't I'll get off it. my soapbox now. No, he, they, they don't. Hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing some somewhat positive things about the next one. So, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll get it by the next one. If it's one, another but... rock and action movie, I'll be happy. That's all. That's all I expect from it at this point. You know, I'm not, you know, I've, I've, I, I, I saw an interview with the writer of the movie Prometheus, which is all secretive mm-hmm. how it ties into alien, but it only ties into the alien movies tangentially, supposedly. And doesn't really even like lead up into the first alien movie. It's not like tied in. It's sort of like a side story or whatever. But, you know, he couldn't talk about, you know, they're being very secretive and somebody was interviewing him. And I'm under the impression it's one of the writers from the Abrams Star Trek. And I was watching Hmm. this guy and I just wanted to punch him in the face. Just like whenever (laughs) I see J.J. Abrams talk. You know, when I see that him uh, on a screen addressing a crowd in this this sort of condescending, it's like he's a nerd, but he's one of those nerds who's become somehow deluded himself into not thinking he's a nerd and is, you know, he's probably very intelligent and stuff, but he just comes off as a smarmy prick. And so did this this writer. He was just, you know, you know, the guy was trying to get secrets out of him, and he was just, oh, it, it made me want to just crush the life out of him. And uh, so I hope, I hope that that doesn't reflect on, on the Prometheus. I hope Ridley Ridley Scott should have more taste in that. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I think <laughs> I should really abstain from watching videos of J.J. Abrams and those guys if I want to enjoy the movies more. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's the whole I reason I never moved to Hollywood and stuff. It's because I would be in jail right now for drowning one of those little <laughs> sawed-off pricks. <laughs> Pardon my French. Oh, we uh, we have gotten incredibly off. As yes. as awesome as I feel that tangent was, we have gotten incredibly off well, topic here. I'm going to bring us back around. I have one final note. So if you have, you oh know, yeah, go ahead. Um. So, you know, at the end of this episode, it's what it's a sort of con like thing where it's like Kirk leaves the planet and these guys are supposed to be training the the thralls to be, you know, real people and setting them free and stuff. How many Quatlus do you want to bet that Kirk never checks in to make sure that, you know, that they just didn't go back to are the Earthmen gone now? Now fight, you know. Yeah, you know. I uh, I don't take suckers bets. So yeah, I <laughs> I actually thought it. I I've actually been thinking about that since I was a kid. Every time I would watch this episode, I would always kind of walk away thinking, you know, what's what's to stop these guys? You know, three months from now they go, 
screw this training the thrall stuff. Back with the collars Even that Kirk goes on, you know? back and Shauna's like, what the fuck, man? You teach me about love and then you get my juices going and you le- all you leave me with is space Anton LaVey. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, she's ho- all horned up and yeah, nowhere to go. Yeah, smells like mothballs and faintly of dead fish. I don't know what his story is. He's got yes. his fingernails are like three inches long, man. And, uh yeah, he's pretty much the only act in town because uh, everybody else is either dead or a brain. So, yeah, there's not a lot of choices there. Because they do. They they kill uh, Space Rock Hudson there, or Tony yep. Curtis, whoever the hell he is. And then they, they kill Lurch with fangs. Yep. And is the Andorian dead, or did he just knock him down? I can't remember. I can't remember, but I thought he was supposed to kill. Uh, no, he just he just injured him because that's when Shauna comes in. That's right. That's they, right, they, yeah. And and then Kirk had the whole thing where he's like, "No, I must kill her." It's like, "No, just bonk around the head like you did before, and knock her out, and they'll throw someone in there that you can kill. They'll that's throw someone right. uplier yeah, in there. That you, they'll probably throw B. Arthur in there, and you'll have no problem killing B. Arthur." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, actually, may I don't know. That would be a fight, Shatner versus B. Arthur. I don't know. I'd I'd put some Quatloos up on that. I don't know. She reminds me of of Joni from Happy Days with like green skin and <laughs> can you know cotton candy yeah, hair. And, and uh, like you know, twenty extra pounds. That's a, a, yeah. <laughs> but with B. Arthur's voice. Yeah, creepy. <laughs> um one of my favorite parts of this episode is uh where they're speculating about you know they're trying to figure out what what happened to everybody Kirk and and uh Scotty and Spock they just they they can't figure out what happened to Kirk and or her and Chekhov and there's a great conversation where they're speculating about did they actually materialize anywhere and i can't remember who actually asked the question but somebody i think it's McCoy but somebody asked the question well could somebody survive this long you know, just in a transporter buffer, you know, is that possible? And Spock says, you know, well, I'm not aware of any study ever being conducted or whatever, but, you know, maybe one day we'll conduct a study. This would be a really fascinating they thing. They are conducting a study right then, t- possibly. <laughs> That's, that is exactly how Scotty survives into next generation. Oh. He puts himself in a transporter buffer stuck in a repetitive a diagnostic loop for 75 years and that's how he appears on next gen eventually and i i wonder if i mean is that a direct callback to this or just a coincidence but one way or the other i think it's it's pretty damn cool that that is literally how he survives nice cryogenics man you just you get in you start beaming you start beaming and when you unbeam you're in the future exactly yeah nice. but I, I i think that's actually pretty neat this has one of our best Randy lines of all time. <laughs> I wondered when we were going to get to this. I was th- when they make remake this into 3D. That this will be one of the best 3D moments of <laughs> Star Trek remastered in 3D. <laughs> I just love that he used to do that all the time too. He would just re- you know, like reach at you. Like he used like- to do that to that guy Don Halverson in art class. He used to just <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> "What are you doing, there, Lieutenant?" You and he, would, the guy would be like, "What the <laughs> hell is he talking about?" <laughs> we gotta, you know, at this point, uh, c- 
because we we keep saying we need to bring him into the episode. We've now covered so many episodes that he would find the guy first. Yeah. I gotta find him and just have him in for like a Randy Star Trek special. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just bring him in just. As like the celebrity, we guest. need to bring him to a convention or something where people are like, "Are you Randy? <laughs> Will you take a picture with you grabbing the back of my head like McCoy?" And <laughs> I won't kill that would you. Be awesome. <laughs> Did you notice that Scotty? You know, here they have this big problem: the captain is missing. And here's the chief engineer. He just stands around not doing a damn thing for a whole lot of this episode. Did you notice that? Yeah. That just, uh, that sort of thing just drives me a little bit crazy. You need to look this up because I'm not sure. But it looked to me in the scene between Chekhov and Manly Voice there when they're in his quarters... Watch during the part where, where she's talking to him and she says, it is a nice name, Chico. Look at the shadow in the background on the wall. And I think we're seeing the shadow of the boom mic. Ah, yeah. It, it really looked like it to me because it moves around a bit and it looked like it was the, actually the mic. Um, now, I, re- I always like the part where Galt brings out the guy for them. They're supposed to use him as a as a target basically and yeah, a black guy. Now, do you think he purposely looks i mean like he was made to look purposely like a like a callback to like uh like a civil war era slave oh, let me see what were they what was his punishment oh yeah it was whipping yeah right. i think it's, so yeah. and and yeah. who was to wasn't her like the first one they're like oh you're to administer the first you know right to administer the first whipping so yeah you'd think if You'd think, I don't think the Triskelions knew what the or, or the providers knew what you know, um, Earth history. But that's a pretty dick move, yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know that this this episode is you know well, well, well before Roots was you know the TV show was a gleam in anybody's eye, but the outfit that guy's wearing really looks like something you would see in that show. And so I, I just well, kept looking some at it going, for this, you. this has to be purposeful. Well, you know, that's that's LeVar Burton's father. <laughs> no, I'm, no I'm, it's not. I'm full of shit, yes. <laughs> yes, you, you are sniffed that one out real quick. <laughs> I figure there's like at least three of our listeners sitting at home and the, at the same time as you went, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, his father's Ben Levine. I think that's the guy's name. Or Vereen is it Ben, ben maybe Vereen. it's Ben Ver, Ben, ben Vereen. Vereen. That's yes. it. Yeah, he he, he eventually that. is. Yeah, he's eventually on uh, Next Gen as uh, as his father. Um, I've always had trouble interpreting the look that Kirk gives Uhura when he decides he's going to take her place, and and they're like lining him up to be the new practice target whipping boy he, yeah. he gives her a look and i can't interpret that look as is it you know it's okay or is it god damn it you know <laughs> why did you put me in this position I, I really can't figure out which it's supposed to be no i think it was more like just like god damn it i'm the captain all right yep um <laughs> i like the part where 
you know, Kirk's been fighting and he's all winded and sweaty and everything. He's wearing that goofy harness thing that he's wearing. He goes and he sits down on the little park bench next to Shauna. And she goes, this will strengthen you. And it's a big old bottle of grape knee high. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here, this grape knee yeah, high. They're, they're, they're keeping him alive on knee high and Skittles. <laughs> keeping Works him all sugared up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the kiss <Brando>. smack is <laughs> Brando. The the kiss and then the the punch in the face. <laughs> the drink that I Kirk know craves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know it's wrong, but I laugh every single time. Well, not only that, but that's been made into one of the most popular moving GIFs ever yes, to make its yes. rounds around the internet. Yep. Very much so. And of course, he has to say something like, I'm sorry, Shauna. You know, someday you'll, your little mind will understand why I had to punch you unconscious. <laughs> that was, that was, you know, in reality, he would have gone whack and she would have been like, hey, what the, f- the hell was that for? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> oh, is that how you want to play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um not the last most one I got on episode. <laughs> no, not at all. Last thing I've got on this one just purely out of curiosity, I looked it up to see if Shauna ever returned anywhere in the um I you know, I don't in the context of Star Trek, I don't even know what to call it. You know, it's not really expanded universe. But you know, it's just, you know, the novels and and games and comics and all that i was just curious if, if she ever came back because it's hardly any character anymore that hasn't made some sort of reappearance exactly. in you know, that 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 side of star trek sure enough she has come back i i failed to write down what it was but there was something that uh that takes place you know in the timeline it takes place just prior to when Kirk was lost in uh, in Generations, you know, at the launch of the Enterprise B, there was some uh-huh. sort of like diplomatic function where she showed up at it as basically a representative for her planet. I actually thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I'd, I'd like to actually read, you know, whatever novel or short story or whatever that is. I'd, I'd actually like to read that just to see how did they write the interaction between the two of them after all those years. You know, did she still have the hots for him? Or, you know, what really would be interesting is is if it was the scenario like you had said, like where she had come to be resentful of Kirk that, you know, he basically he enlightened her. He horned her all up and then he split. And he goes, you know, yeah, take me with you. Sorry, I can't take you with it with me. Right. Bye. Why the hell not? <laughs> because, that's a, you know, that's a good point. Because now she that would you cramp his that. style after a while. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He was yeah. regretting not staying there at least in a couple extra hours, but at least he got to make out <laughs> with her, you know. He got to wrestle around with her a couple times on the ground and and <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's pretty much all I got on this one. I I like this episode a lot. It's not terribly deep as as these episodes go, but uh It's good fun, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. Good fun. Fun is good. (laughs) 
The time has come. H hour. On the horizon, many ships watch and wait. Silhouetted by the soft gray light of dawn. A lone craft moves toward the enemy shoreline. Sole vehicle of the assault. The craft, an amphibious landing type, has a ramp gate in the bow for the unloading of men and equipment onto the beach. At the back, above the level of the ramp gate, is a large glass enclosed structure with a vermilion fleece rug and cocktail lounge furnishings. A party is in progress inside the glass room. The room is a swirl with heavy military bodies decorated with bright colored ribbons and medals. Stewards dart about with trays of hors d'oeuvres and champagne cocktails. There is music and laughter. It is a merry party, and it continues as the craft moves forward. Now, the craft touches the beach, pushing a wave before it. The merriment subsides for a moment, and all in the glass room look casually toward the ramp gate. The ramp goes down. A single soldier, clad in combat fatigues, carrying an infantry pack and rifle, rushes up over the ramp gate onto the beach. The soldier runs very hard and fast. Nemo, you idiot! Get back inside! You're supposed to be at that party! It is over. Quickly. He is killed by one shot, fired by the enemy. I'm not dead! I'm wounded! Hey, I'm not dead. The soldier lies crumpled, face down on the sand. It's just my leg. He is the hey. only blemish on the smoothness. Slowly, the ramp gate begins to rise. Hey, where are you going? Hey, no, no, no. Craft withdraws from the beach. The conversation and laughter in the glass room resumes. Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 40. This is the comic bookie section of the show. And this time we've got three comics that all sort of form one story that bridge the gap between the storyline where we are right now and Star Trek IV. Because as you realize, Star Trek IV sort of started right off where Star Trek III ends which really makes it hard to explain all these comic <laughs> books in between. But it gets explained, and here to tell you how is my partner in crime, Mr. Scott Gardner. Gah. <laughs> it Gah kind of... indeed. Gah indeed. <laughs> it, it tries its best. It, it, well, well it said, makes sir. It valia- uh, you know, a valuable, uh, a valiant rather, a valiant effort. Now, wasn't that the same? Didn't they sort of make... It was sort of the same sort of deal between two and three, where they had yeah. to do a little bit of twisting and, and turning to get it all to fit. They did, but they didn't. It seemed like they didn't have as tough a job with that one because theoretically, yeah. at least, you know, 
some adventures could have happened between two and three because it, it you know when three picks up we're not really privy to how much time has passed and time right. clearly has passed between those movies because in the interim you know Savick's been reassigned and you know some other different things have happened so we're, we were never really given any sort of a time frame and how much time exactly has passed whereas you know we'll we'll cover this i'm sure more in depth next month when we tackle star trek 4 but in star trek 4 a timeline is given of how much time they've been they've spent on vulcan again that it could all be made to fit they had to wrap it up and they had to be fairly succinct about it um i don't know i'll, I'll leave it to the to the listeners to uh, judge for themselves how well a job that they feel was done here because there's elements of this story that i really like and then there's other elements of it that i'm like oh god that's really kind of whatever so but anyway, uh, where are my synopses here? Now, I have synopses for the first two issues uh, pre-written, and I got nothing on the third one. I've read it. I just hadn't had a chance to write anything up. But what we're going to do for this one, folks, is we're going to just kind of we're going to lump everything together because it is one story spread over three issues. So we're going to synopsize all three issues real quick and then just kind of go back and uh, discuss things and uh, cover our notes, that sort of thing. So. This first issue is uh, Star Trek number 34. And uh, the writer on this one is Len Wein. Uh, the illustrators are Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagram, who have pretty much been the regular uh, folks up till now. And after that, you got pretty much all the regular players. You got uh, Augustin Mass as the letterer, Michelle Wolfman, colorist, and Robert Greenberger as the editor. This story was called The Doomsday Bug Chapter 1 Death Ship. Kirk and crew respond to a distress call from their buddy Spock aboard his swanky new ride, the science vessel Surak. And they find him, and everybody's dead. Well, except for Spock, of course. You know, of he's course. half Vulcan, and, you know, that's the universal antidote from everything from pizza creatures <laughs> to bullet wounds to space herpes. So, anyway, they uh, beam Spock back aboard the Excelsior, and then they send the Surak into the sun. And they determined that it was this plague-carrying Andorian that Spock had brought aboard his ship that killed everybody. And now that guy's missing, and everybody's all in a panic about it. So they discover that the Andorian made off with a Starfleet uh, shuttlecraft from the Surak, and so every they set out after him, and that takes them straight into the neutral zone and into enemy space, where at the end of the issue, they find themselves surrounded by a fleet of Romulan battleships. So that was the exciting conclusion to that one. We're going to uh, go straight sorry. into awesome <laughs> issue number 35. And this one again is by uh, all the usual players, except for one big change. The art takes a big old step up in this one because now the artist has changed to guest artist, Gray Morrow. And I like Gray Morrow stuff. I, I've always, uh, I, I wouldn't say necessarily a fan but I've I've generally enjoyed anything that I uh, I read by uh, you know that's illustrated by uh, Gray Morrow. He has a really uh, nice artistic touch. Anyway, so the story continues, and the Romulans have Kirk cornered and outgunned on their side of the neutral zone, and he suddenly remembers that he has the captured Klingon bird of prey aboard from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, or excuse me, Star Trek Three rather, The Search for Spock. And it's down in the shuttle bay, so he dispatches Scotty, Sulu, and Chekhov to uh, take her out under cloak, drop behind the lead Romulan ship, decloak, and scare the piss out of him. And this amazingly, and pretty unrealistically in my opinion, works. 
The Romulans, who still outgun Kirk by at least one ship, agree to beam him over for a little chit-chat. So they confer, and Kirk tries to convince them about the space flu that killed everybody in, Kirk, in Spock's crew. Meanwhile, uh, Dr. Mabenga uh, has a prognosis for Spock, and it ain't good. Thanks to his unique physiology, Spock isn't exactly dying from the bug, but he's literally getting stupider by the minute. So if something isn't done, his brain will be gone. Oh. Like, you know, like that hasn't happened before. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that isn't a common problem with Vulcans. <laughs> yeah, they're immune to almost everything, but their brains go a lot. <laughs> so one of the other uh, Romulan vessels catches the uh, space measles and Starfleet Command, pissed that Kirk invaded enemy space without phoning home first. Six Captain Styles, the former skipper of the Excelsior and a world-class a-hole in his own right, on Kirk. The sick Romulans attack the healthy Romulans. There's a big old boring fight. The sick Romulans run off, and the healthy Romulans beam Kirk back to Excelsior so they can all warp off in hot pursuit. So that's the end of 35. And then, finally, back to Vulcan, it says on the cover of number 36. I really like the cover on that one, by the way. It's a really cool uh, cover. I haven't, I didn't really say much about the other two covers, but eh, they're not, not all that exciting. I like the 35 so cover. Which myself. one is the third? That's see. the one with the where the Romulans have them oh. sort of trapped in a mini Tholian web. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, I hadn't even noticed that. You're right. It is like a mini Tholian. It's like a Tholian, uh, what would that be, a trapezoid or something? Yeah. Diamond? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tholian diamond. I like it. Cool. It's got a nice little design to it. It does. So let's see. This one is the Doomsday Bug Chapter 3, the Apocalypse Scenario. And again, this is uh, all the regular people, and uh, Gray Morrow is still on this one as the uh, the guest artist. So we pick up where the other one left off, and it, it literally covers the exact same scene with Captain Styles saying, one way or another, Kirk's brass is mine, which I think is a really ridiculous line. I don't think that's the kind of pun a Klingon or a, a Romulan would make, no. <laughs> it's completely... He makes it twice, too. He says it right. twice. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, Styles, the 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 Starfleet. That's no. right. But still, yeah, your, your point is valid that, yeah, it doesn't really still. sound like a line that he would deliver. Yeah. So, they're, they're still, you know, Kirk and, uh, and uh, the Romulan commander, now they've teamed up. So now you've got the Excelsior actually flying in tandem with these uh, Romulan battle cruisers all around it, which is kind of a cool visual. And they go deeper into Romulan space, and they're pursuing the, uh, the Romulan ship where everybody's been infected by whatever this space virus thing is. In the meantime... There's a lot of uh, you know gnashing and uh, you know gnashing of teeth and everything about uh, what's going to happen with Spock. Is he dying? And McCoy and Mabenger are trying to save him. And you know, we basically the gist of it is is that he's regressing to a state. You know, we're we're eventually going to leave Spock in pretty much the state he was in at the end of Star Trek Three. Right. Just to leave you know wrap everything up nicely. So. We end up catching up with, you know, the uh, the sick Romulans, and there's a big old space fight, and missiles are fired at the Excelsior, and blah, blah, blah. There's a whole lot of just running around shooting ships, and, and you know, it's it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just, it's a lot of page-filling stuff it's going on. It's kind of like spinning the wheels. Yeah. yeah it, in, the, it, in the last it, issue, they also spent the first, what, like three pages telling you about the last issue, too, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So eventually, the the whole thing with the space virus is uh, is solved because the the Andorian plague carrier guy gets killed. They come up with a way to rig the transporter so that they can basically filter the Romulans who are sick through the transporter, and it does like the bio filter cleanse thing on them. Mm-hmm. What's not made clear is it almost looks like they run the entire ship through the transporter, which that's I don't plausible at yeah, best. Yeah, happen. I'm pretty sure that that can't actually happen. But at the end of the day, you know, Kirk and uh, and the Romulan commander that he was working with, they actually have a, a sort of pseudo friendship thing going on. Um, Spock's left in a bad way, and because of everything that had happened with you know transgressing into Romulan space without Starfleet. Uh, authority and everything styles ends up beaming aboard the excelsior to take kirk and crew into custody and kirk has pulled a fast one they jumped into the uh romulan bird of prey basically turned command of the excelsior over to the junior officers and then they split and headed for vulcan to take spock back to his people to hopefully get all patched up again and it pretty much leaves us you know with a more or less you know, in shape to go straight into Star Trek Four. Yeah, well, I mean, it ends right with with McCoy painting, uh, or is it is it McCoy or is it uh, yeah, painting HMS Bounty on the on the ship? So, yeah, it's a workman like <laughs> Link. <laughs> exactly. Well, the only thing that, and again, this this is probably. I mean, they they did the best they could you know, at, at probably pretty short notice to wrap this whole thing up and make it more or less flow from one into the other. Pretty much the only thing that doesn't work for me personally is, for one, so they're taking Spock back to Vulcan. Well, what what exactly are the Vulcans going to do for him? They've pretty much done what they can do. They put his Katra back in his head. What What more can they really do? It was his mind meld with that you know, mirror universe Spock that kind of gave him his wits back. So if he's left in like a, you know, extra stupid state now, I mean, what are they going to, I mean, does it come down to another one of these re-education things? Cause that, that every time they do that, it just comes off as really, really silly. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then this is super neat, uh, nitpicky and geeky, but, um, Kirk and crew are left with their Starfleet uniforms at the end of this story. When we pick up with them in Star Trek four, they've got the civilian clothes that they had at the end of Star Trek three. So you can't really explain that away. Unfortunately, there's just no way to whitewash that, you know? Well, they were like, Oh, look, we forgot to bring some clothes. Oh, we left these old ones in the Klingon ship. (laughs) They were still in the Klingon hamper or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) PU. So what do you got as far as notes on these? Well, like you, big step up in the art. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about the story because it's just a it's it's just a, an artifact to get to link the two together. In that, they did a fairly decent job of doing it. They did they didn't make it too ridiculous to do it. Um mostly what I got on this is is how much it's funny, and once again, everybody's got to listen to our other Star Trek Monthly Monday, The Next Generation, because this has sort of resonance with both of the shows on our Next Generation. It's got a little bit of the um, 
um, Riker as a uh, exchange student with Kirk and the and the um, mm. and the Romulans. It's got the um, d- the rampant disease that's wiping everybody out. Like in the episode before that, what was the, the name of that? Unnatural selection. Where the Un- doctor unnatural gets, was it? Unnatural. Unnatural selection. Unnatural, yeah. Unnatural selection. And uh, so it's got that sort of, you know, stopping a rampant disease type right. thing. And it's got the same solution to the disease, which is the transporter. That's so, right. So there's Good so catch. It, this, this comic really... Uh, See, I um, never think that you pay attention, but I guess, I guess maybe every once in a while you do. It's amazing. Yeah, a lot of people misunderestimate me. <laughs> to, their, to their peril. <laughs> to their doom. But, um... Mostly what I just love the big step up in the artwork. I love his his spaceships are great. I love all his not all of them, but I like a lot of the shots of the spaceships in this. His um, character work with the characters is excellent. Yes, that's that's what I like. At first, I was thinking he kind of makes some goofy faces with them. But then I thought these actors make goofy faces and I was glad to <laughs> see him, you know, doing the, you know, you know, sh- doing the Shatner, you know, some of the Shatner, you know, exaggerated facial expressions and stuff here and there, you know? So I thought, I thought that worked out really well. You know, so, some of them, some of the caricature, they're almost caricatures, you know what I mean? Right. But it, it, it works out really well. And they, and I mean, Everybody looks like the actor who portrays them in this one. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to point out one or two where I think they're a little where, bit weird. But, yeah, but for goofy. the most part, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I had just a few specific notes on this. More more than anything, it's, it's kind of taken the piss out of the story in a couple instances. But I can't help it. Star Trek probably more than any of the other shows that we do. This is where this is where the the nerd really comes out to play for me because I I, I feel like I know my Star Trek pretty damn good. You know what I mean? Um, the beginning of the story in, in the first chapter. So um, let me see if I got this r- straight. The Surak is on a crash course with the nearest sun. Now that's what I think it's Sulu that says it. That it's on a direct collision course with the nearest sun. Yes, he does say it. it's on the bottom of page two. Um, the ship is traveling at maximum warp. It still takes them three and a half pages of the story to stop the Surak. How far away was this friggin' sun anyway? I mean, maximum warp, I'm thinking, has got to be what? Warp, what, seven, eight, nine, something like that? Well, maybe not for the Surak. Maybe not for the Surak, you know? Oh, it's like the slow boat to Vulcan? Yeah, it might be like a a two-cylinder, you know, whereas... (laughs) (laughs) Two-space-cylinder craft rather than a four- or six-cylinder, you know, like the Enterprise or, or the larger ships. So they, they catch up to the Surak, and there's an automated message that plays. And, and Uhura pipes it in for everybody to hear, and this is what the message says. Stay away. Those are the first two words in the message. Stay away. Repeat. This is the USS Surak warning all approaching vessels to stay away. If you value your lives, what do they do? They beam over to the ship. They don't value their lives. What the hell part of stay away didn't Kirk understand? He even admits this himself later in the story that he completely disregarded Spock's warning to stay away from the ship. 
that's I'm sorry to say it. That's bad leadership, dude. You've just endangered both Starfleet crews by doing that. Now, as it turns out, Spock's crew is already dead. They didn't know that ahead of time. But I mean, that's just I, I you know I realize that Kirk is is supposed to be portrayed as kind of the the rash, brash captain. But at the same rate, I mean, but he's also very protective of his ship and exactly. crew. I mean, have we ever? Maybe if it's maybe because it's not the Enterprise, he's just like, well, whatever. This crew sucks, you know. <laughs> whatever. Sometimes you lose a crew, you know. Just, I ain't gonna lose an Enterprise crew, mind you, but right. you know, sometimes the crew's got to go. He's just borrowing this crew between movies, so it doesn't yeah. really. If they get wiped out by exactly. some spike. <laughs> he's got a whole ship full of red shirts, and he don't care. Um. You know, if this was any other ship, I could let this slide. But seeing as how this is a ship that Spock is in charge of, uh, you know, shouldn't that have that Andorian dude have gone straight into some kind of quarantine? I'm just saying. Uh, Let's see what else we got. The Surak goes from being an Oberth class science vessel to an Excelsior class ship about halfway through the book. I don't know how the hell that happens. Maybe it does one of those (laughs) Things like what was that show with the van that used to transform a Hong Kong Fui? You know, maybe it does something like that where it can oh, just yeah. different kinds of ships. That would be actually be pretty damn cool. Come to think of it, you know, if they had like a transforming Starfleet ship, but it does. It literally changes from it, it, the Oberth class was the ones like what the Grissom was in Star Trek Three, the one that the, the Klingons destroy. But it's, seriously, about halfway through the first chapter of this story, it suddenly changes to a completely different class of ship. And I'm like, huh? Um, Dr. Mabenga is in this. Is this the first time we've seen him in this series? Because I think it is. I think you are correct. I liked it. I always thought he was cool in, uh, in the old series. He was only in just a couple of episodes, but he was a character I always wanted to see expanded upon a little bit more. Because yeah, I I always got the impression he was just like a regular human dude, but for some reason he was like the Vulcan expert on the ship. I don't know. It always seemed like there was a story there somewhere. We just never really got it. You know what I mean? Uh, lastly, for chapter one, so Kirk's just going to go right on into the neutral zone on his own authority, right? Okay. Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. It's it's just a little bit of a leap, you know what I mean? Well, well so- especially since, uh, you know, I mean, just how taboo the neutral zone has been set up to be in Star Trek is insane. You know, the neutral zone is just like, you just don't go there, you know? Right. It's like Mordor, you know? You just don't wa- <laughs> right. you don't walk into it. <laughs> well, and- plus, you know, a big deal is made at the beginning of this story about, you know, they're on the brink of war with the Romulans and right. all it's take is one rash act to, to push us over there. And what does Kirk do? He just goes charging into the, it's like, yeah, it's dude, like an episode of Laverne and Shirley where they're like, wow, the, this, this, this pee, this bacon's really greasy and slimy. Hello. You know, and, and Lenny and Squiggy show up. It's just like Kirk. It's like, boy, I hope nobody does something brash and outrageous in the, in the neutral zone. What did someone say? Brash and outrageous. Yep. Did exactly. someone say go into the neutral zone? That's what I thought I heard. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley. Seriously? Um, I agree with you. I think these new Romulan ships are badass looking. I really like yeah. this. And what's really cool is that they they look like they really could be a real bridge between like the original mm-hmm. series Romulan ships and then the ones that we eventually see in Next Gen. So I think that's pretty neat. 
Yeah, they're sort of like I, I like them. They're sort of like an aerodynamic space turd with a regular <laughs> Romulan ship put on top of it and sort of nestled on top of it, which sounds really stupid, but it's it looks neat. It looks neat. It looks like it could it looks like it could do something like like when the Enterprise uh, saucer ejects like the 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 bird part of it could come out you know jettison the bottom and you know the bottom would be like all the crew and the top could jettison off and be a fighter or something i don't know they they do you know what it looks like to me is it's like all right so it's like take the reliant and take off the saucer section and replace that with like like a y-wing fighter cockpit no you know like the nose part of the of yes. the wiring and then put like a bird pattern on top and that's pretty much what it looks like and i think it looks really awesome yeah there's a neat shot of the enterprise or not the enterprise but um the reliant and, and three of, is it three of them i'm not looking at the page but three of them from below you know flying into the neutral zone that's just awesome the uh the excelsior excelsior, excelsior yes yeah. but yeah you're right yeah it, it looks really nice uh, let's see. Page five of the second issue, that last panel, the little inset panel that's canted at an angle. Um, since when does David David Hasselhoff play Kirk? Because <laughs> that's totally David Hasselhoff. I know he's laying there eating a cheeseburger in his underwear. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I need somebody to to sit me down and uh, and just hold my hand and explain to me what the hell happens on page eight and actually it's page like pages like seven through eight or nine here yeah it's 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 pages seven through nine basically all right I get the basic premise of what's happening here but there's not enough in the art and in the captions to explain exactly how they pull this plan off. Kirk sends Scotty and a couple of his men to go down, take that Romulan bird of prey, go out under cloak, sneak around behind the Romulans. And that's as far as I get in this plan. I don't really understand at this point what happens. I presume it decloaks behind the lead Romulan ship but that still leaves Kirk out, out outgunned by at least one more ship. So why exactly do the do the Romulans end up capitulating th- in this in this fight? I don't get this. All I, all. all I could think of was maybe they thought now that the Klingons are involved in this too, and that maybe they don't want to do anything. I, but that doesn't make sense either, right? But you know, yeah, exactly. It's it's it. Or, or that they, you know, they, they, the whatever tactical move they were using with the Enterprise somehow gets, you know, undermined by having another, you know, another ship there because they hadn't planned on having it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Romulans would really flinch too much at losing a ship or two in a battle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, this this Romulan's pretty wimpy as far as Romulans go. You know, <laughs> he he cozies up to Kirk pretty quick, especially since they're on the brink of war even more so than <laughs> right. usual you know but he 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 really you know he and Kirk cozy up real real easily as they must for the story but yeah the, the, these Romulan the, these are you know maybe these are some of the you know maybe these are the the equivalent of the Romulans who are in Siberia you know maybe they're in a really quiet 
Well, some would be part of the for you know the neutral zone where they send all the the fuck ups or the the softies, <laughs> you know, to go. Something's wrong with them anyway because most all of them look like uh, they look like Mongolians or something. But then all of a sudden, when you get to and when you say Mongolians, I, I think real Mongolians, and I also think somebody from the planet Mongo from <laughs> Flash Gordon because yes. they got those headsets on. Yeah. Those helmets on, yeah. Well, then look at page eleven of the second issue. The the there still look. Everybody looks pretty pretty Asian, like 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 a bad stereotype Asian. Except right. the commander of the the vessel where they all end up getting sick and becoming whatever they become, like like space zombies or something. That leader guy, he looks like that the the French stereotype that Jean Jean Cleese played in. Uh, uh, yes. Holy Grail. He looks yes, like exactly. in your general direction. Yes. <laughs> he looks like he should be going, <laughs> He's a stupid Starfleet people. <laughs> He's a horrible French stereotype. It's like, so th- these Romulan vessels are all crewed by bad ethnic stereotypes. It's well, pretty. That's, that's, that's with keeping with the original series <laughs> feel, you know? <laughs> Uh, page 14, the bottom of page 14, that last panel right there. I'm pretty sure that uh, Admiral Turner here is based on uh, Harve Bennett. He sure looks a hell of a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see what else we got. At the end of the story, now I'm I'm presuming that they only knew so much about what we were going to see in Star Trek Four, but I find it very odd that the captain of the Saratoga here at the end of the issue at 35 and then in the beginning of the next issue the the first page or two of 36 we see the captain again and we see that weird alien dude that was at um i don't know what, what whichever it is it's either navigation or helm but he was actually in star trek 4 as well so they got those yes. characters right Except that the Saratoga here is shown to be an Excelsior-class ship, and it's not. It's actually a Miranda-class ship that looks like the Reliant. So it's weird. They knew what the characters looked like, but evidently they had no idea what the ship was going to look like. In the I, new bet, I bet you they just got they they just got enough information. You know, they they probably got like, all right, you know, here's just sort of what's going to happen at the beginning. This is where they have to be. You know. Right. That's what I'm betting. That uh, that shot, that splash page on uh, page two of the last issue, though, where uh, the Excelsior's flying in tandem with the Romulan. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That yeah, it is. That one's really nice. And then I, I noticed that there was some, uh, some stock shots here toward the end of the issue where everything's all wrapped up. You've got Spock laying on the, on the bed in sickbay. And he's holding hands with uh, with McCoy. That's right out of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. They basically took Kirk out of the picture right there because remember at the uh, near the end of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, after Spock had his mind meld, right? He's laying in, in the bed just like that with like the little t shirt on, you know, like yeah, the, and it's right oh, from that angle too. Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's that's pretty cool. I like that uh, Kirk pulled a fast one on Styles and made him look like an idiot all over again because I don't like that guy. So that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> the rest, I mean, everything else between like page two and the resolution of the story is just like 
blah, 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 blah. It's just a, a whole bunch of, you know, let's run around, let's narrowly avoid getting blowed up. You There's know? a lot of filler and wheel spinning yeah. in these three issues, for sure. Yeah, they really padded it out a lot. Then we also got a little cameo from uh, from um, Sarek right toward the end of the issue, which I thought was pretty cool. I always liked Sarek. I always thought he was a cool character. That's pretty much all I got on this. I mean, it was it was okay. It wasn't the greatest story, and I, you know, probably the biggest thing. I, I didn't even make a note of this. It just suddenly occurred to me. You know, all this thing with the Andorian guy being aboard Spock's ship. Are and Andorians it, always pricks? Are they always the you know? The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they but just it, always end up being troublemakers. All of that had to happen a while before uh, Kirk catches up with Spock and his crew. And by the time he gets there, you know, everybody's dead except Spock. Well, it's funny that they were all perfectly fine all the way through the adventure in the, in the issue prior to this, mm-hmm. when it was that time travel story, nobody was, was, you know, had the space, you know, mumps in that one. So what's going on? An- you know another, what I mean? They were thing- exposed. <laughs> When and when they're in sick bay earlier on in this, okay, and the, and they're they're in quarantine with Spock. All right, I can see why they would have they they have bubbles over their heads. They have like what looks like a plastic bubble over their head. Then why do they need the medical droid mask from Star Wars? <laughs> you know, when they're already inside a bubble, that's right off the face of the medical droid in <laughs> Star is. Wars. It is. And I like the alien on the other, the like multi-armed alien on the bridge too. He's pretty cool. <laughs> Six-eyed. And... Yeah, he looks. He's like... got multiple arms, but his arms also branch out at the ends. So is so each arm is like three arms. It looks like. He does. He looks like a like some sort of like amoeba man or something. Yeah. Turns amoeba. out he's actually really popular with the ladies too. <laughs> Well, that's pretty much all I got on this one. Well, yeah, me too. Well, you know, finishing up this, you know what that means? <gasps> Star Trek Four is coming. Yes. Yes, yes. I'm excited. I, You know. You're not the biggest fan of Star Trek IV. I'm 4. not I the biggest that. fan, but it's been a while since I've watched it, and uh, and I, I look forward to both pointing out the, you know, the things that I like about it and maybe, you know. I like it a lot. Some so. cheap shots at it. Plus, you know, I, I look forward to kind of telling my origin story for uh, Star Trek Four because I, I really, I, I have, uh, I have some pretty good and clear memories of. Uh, did we see that together? Thing. Well, I'll leave that ooh, for the ooh. next show. No, we did not. <clears throat> I, I, I'm ready to start talking about it already, so I'll just <laughs> sh- clam up here. Well, I think that does it for this time. Yeah, everybody, go and and listen to all our other podcasts and. And all that that happy horse shit, and we'll see you next month with Star Trek Four. How's that for a for a lead out? Very professional. Thank you. I've been I've been trying lately. Try harder. <laughs> two true freaks, two try harder. <laughs> Thank you.
Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.